Welcome to the Survive HR Podcast. This podcast is designed to keep you up to date on all things human resources and sometimes life. Brought to you by two co-hosts who rarely agree on anything. We promise an insightful time filled with a bit of education and a lot of laughs. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Survive HR. I got it right again. I'm Kelly Scheib. I'm joined here by my partner in crime, Mr. Steve Nail. Hey, Hi, Steve. Kelly. How, How are, are you? you? I'm doing great. Good. And we have two people who know what they're talking about, and it's not you and me on the podcast, our buddies, Chris and Perry here to talk about legal issues. And that's why we have to have them on because again, you and I make up what we talk about and hope it sticks and we don't get ourselves in trouble where we need Chris and Perry, but more often than not, we do. And they're on the podcast all the time, trying to get us out of, trying to keep us out of trouble. So um, Chris Perry, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Morning, thank you. It is a beautiful summer day. Um, we're all kind of in different places right now, which is kind of one of the joys of the fact that we could do this remotely. So I'm sitting here looking outside at the New York City skyline. Um, Steve, Steve, where are you? Well, Steve is in his uh, home office right now. Your home office in the basement where your wife puts (laughs) you. Um, Perry, where are you? I'm in the real office, uh, Hainsworth Sinclair Boyd in Florence, South Carolina. Ooh, Florence, South Carolina. And the most exciting of all of us is Chris. Chris is making us all jealous. Chris, where are you? We're in Miami in our teeny little condo with a view of the ocean. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's only fitting that we discuss an issue today that has been plaguing our HR community. Because no one really, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's something we've known about for a long time. We know it was coming, but things are changing every single day on this and the changing landscape as it relates to marijuana in the workplace and testing for marijuana in the workplace is the topic of the show today. So Steve, we're going to like, what are we going to title this? To test or not to test? Probably, yeah, to test or not to test. You know, know, Kelly, you're in the only, you're in the only, you're the only one of the four of us that are currently sitting in a state that has legalized marijuana, and there's 16 states and D.C. that have legalized recreational use, and I think, I think there's another 37 states that have medical marijuana, so when you really start looking at it, and there's obviously overlap there, uh, but and most, that's a majority of the states have already legalized marijuana in one form or another right yeah. now. It's going to be legalized at some point. 100% it's going to be legalized at some point. Um, but it's not. And it's not legalized federally. Correct. So, okay. So, like, I guess there's a lot of, there's a lot of scenarios, right, where it's not legal state-wise and it's not legal federally. I think it's kind of anyone's anyone's game right like you can you don't have to allow for it but um unless it's medical use and it's like medical use is legal um but where it is legal in some states for recreational use but illegal federally what do you do like what are you supposed to do 
Um, especially now that it's recreationally acceptable, right? Um, so Chris Perry, talk to us about this. We can we can literally talk ourselves into knots on this topic. So talk to us about what we should be, what we should be doing from an HR perspective, kind of in all the scenarios where it's legal, where it's not legal, where it's only legal for medical use, where it's legal for recreational use, where you can literally smoke walking down the street and where you can't. Talk to us about that. So we actually have clients who have already had to deal with this, um, where they have locations where it's partially legal for medical use, or it's legal for medical and recreational, um, and then in states where it's not legal. And for the states where it is legal recreationally, um, you, you just apply what you already know in regards to um, what level is too much? You know, you treat it like you would alcohol. How? And we can talk about that. Well, you can, um, it's a little different. So it is true that alcohol gets out of your system, you, you know, usually in about six, less than 24 hours, whereas marijuana is longer, 72 up to a month um, hours, you know, 72 hours up to a month. Um, but it would be more, you would apply your reasonable suspicion under the influence, all the things you apply with um, alcohol, just a different set of things. And they already have those developed pretty well that you can train your um, manager to look for. But in regards to the places where it's only medically allowed, then you apply what you apply to prescription drugs here. So it requires some um, juggling, but you cannot have a policy where it is legal medically that prohibits use of it at work. Instead, you have to approach it like you would prescription, dr prescription drugs and whether or not it's gonna interfere with us, our ability to safely do our job. Well, how, how Chris, on the, with a couple of things. One, I mean, we got, I think there's decisions to make as to whether you even, I mean, do you just, just overlook marijuana use now because it's so prevalent? I mean, that's one thing that I think companies have to think about. The other thing though gets back to your, your point, because I think this is, you know, I, I haven't seen any definitive, um, you know, cutoffs for marijuana. And, you know, like, like you said, I mean, if you were going to hair test somebody, uh, you know, you take my hair, which grows at about one inch per year and everyone's cherished, you know, I don't want anybody to cut it. But if somebody were to cut what little is left of my hair off, I mean, that might go back a year and be able to, to, to detect that there was, was marijuana use. Um, so how, how would you, if you're going to continue to test, and particularly, you know, I think the big issue would be for cause testing, okay, if you have an accident or something, or there's, you know, if you, how do you determine if somebody is under the influence of, of marijuana? Is there a cutoff or some sort of standard cutoff? Um, thank you. That it depends on the state. So I'm trying to remember. Uh, Perry and I were scrambling around trying to. Um, I was not Perry. He was not scrambling. I was scrambling this morning trying to find a memorandum that we wrote for a client for um, in 2018 um, about Michigan. And I think it was Michigan or Massachusetts. I'm not going to remember which. But they had a limit. They, you know, they had a limit. And I think that's what's going to have to be developed. You know, and that took time with alcohol as well. You know, so in places where you have to do alcohol testing and you do it within 20 minutes of each other to test to determine whether or not someone should be dealing with something that's particularly um, safety sensitive, 
you'll just have to develop those. I mean, I, I have to concede we don't have that yet. Um, you know, it takes a lot less marijuana in someone's system to suggest that they might have marijuana in their system but not be under the influence. But, you know, Perry and I have both trained on this already. And there's also a list of things that you can look for, just like you would look for um, reasonable suspicion and alcohol. Um, isn't that right, Perry? Yeah, I mean, I think that if, if you're going to be drug testing in the workplace, um, sort of for cause, either because somebody tipped you off, uh, another coworker tipped somebody off that somebody was under the influence or there was an accident in the workplace um, and, and you do post-accident drug testing, um, you know, a, a positive test for, for marijuana um, isn't going to tell you a whole lot. Um, and, and so I think if you are going to be making disciplinary decisions um, or around this, um, you're going to need more than a positive test. I and mean, I think you're going to need coworkers saying this person, you know, I found a joint in this person's locker or, um, you know, I noticed this person, um, you know, visibly high while at work, um, you know, th those types of things which create all their own sets of issues as, as well. Um, but I mean, I think, Steve, going back to your original point, um, you know, I, I think human resource professionals have to sort of make an initial determination, you know, what kind of workplace are we and, and what's, how are we going to approach this? And I think that's regardless of which state you're in, um, even in states where um, it's not legal in any manner, like South Carolina. Um, I have many clients that have, you know, completely done away with any type of, of marijuana testing, um, either because um, they can't find employees to, uh, they're having enough, hard enough time finding workers, um, and or they just don't really care. Um, I think that's mostly in the sort of white collar professional office type jobs where, um, you know, it's, it's not as big of a deal, but it, certainly if you're in construction or the manufacturing industry and you've got safety sensitive positions, um, you know, there are still, you are still going to have latitude to, to conduct drug testing and, and probably still a good idea in, in many cases. Um, but for those folks that are coming to work and, you know, sitting at a computer all day, um, you know, is a, is a pre-employment drug screening for marijuana um, you know, necessary? Is it something that you, you want to do? Um, I think those are all questions that, you know, HR needs to decide on, on the front end. All right. I'm like, all right, let's, let's just be real. Okay. If you live in the state of X and you drive to the state of Y and you legally smoke a joint, or you legally eat a brownie, or you take something, or you do something that fills your body with marijuana or THC or whatever it is, and then you go back and you get drug tested, like it, it doesn't work anymore. Like I think this is the problem without having like a consistent rule is it doesn't work when you can go to one state and do it perfectly legally and then go back to your other state and have a job that like doesn't allow you to test positive for it, it doesn't work like from an HR perspective like I understand there are ways you can manage it and like but it just doesn't work like it makes it too complicated 
to discipline an employee for something that when they were doing could have been perfectly legal, right? Could have been perfectly legal. I think we need to throw it all out. That's my opinion. And then we need to throw it out and say, we expect our employees to be able to perform their jobs. So if they can't perform their jobs, because quite frankly, you can be high on a lot of things that a 10 panel drug test isn't going to test for. A lot of things, okay? People, I have seen some crazy things happen where people take a whole lot of stuff that you can just, people take a whole lot of Sudafed and are walking around all sorts of loopy. But that doesn't mean that it's going to test on a drug screen. So look, my opinion, throw it out because just throw out marijuana from your drug panel and treat your employees appropriately where they understand that they can't come to work impaired at all, at all. And that's my position on this just because it's just impossible to manage something that they are allowed to do legally in their neighboring state or in their own state. That's my two cents from an so, HR practitioner. So if, I, so if I understand what you're saying, Kelly, you're, you're saying don't test for, for marijuana as a pre-employment or, or at any time, random or otherwise, but only hold people accountable for being under the influence of, of just like alcohol is legal, uh, you know, marijuana as well, and then set some sort of you know, have talk with your attorneys or whatever and set up whatever the standard should be to determine impairment. Yeah. The standard is very simple. Like the standard is very simple. Come to work and do your job in an appropriate way that doesn't put anyone in danger and you're not under the influence of something. Like I think, look, there are, are it's just, it, it really, really cons like confuses me when you're telling someone that they can't do something that is perfectly legal somewhere else. We've had this issue with COVID, quite frankly. <laughs> like I've had these issues with like COVID rules, but like it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's inc it's theatrics. Like let's just call a spade a spade. It is theatrics to be like, oh well, you know, we have a policy against marijuana. I know you could totally legally do it here on the weekends, but if you test positive on a Tuesday, you may or may not be under the influence, but we have a policy. It's theatrics. It's theatrics. Yeah. I mean, I think your, you know, I think your approach is, is fair, Kelly. I mean, the only pushback I would give you is that, um, I mean, companies do prohibit things all the time that are perfectly legal to do. Um, I mean, you could go on Facebook and, post something ridiculous on Facebook and it's perfectly legal to do it. But if your company policy prohibits you from doing that, um, then you could be fired for it. So, I mean, well, companies can prohibit things that are quote unquote legal to do. And, but, and um, that's fair, Perry. And that's fair. The issue is there's no way like if you, like a Facebook post, right? You can go and see the Facebook post and be like, you posted this on Facebook. We saw it with our eyes. But to test someone for marijuana, you have no idea if that person is in impaired. No idea. Right. And I, and I do. I, and I, yeah. And, and, and I would agree with your approach. And I think that's, you know, if I was in human resources, I, I would probably take a, a similar approach. I, I will say I've had clients that um, still want to test for it. Um, and 
there are, I guess, a couple of different reasons why they may want to do that. And uh, I think there are, you know, HR and, and company presidents and, and management out there that for whatever reason still want to test for it. And I think what they may say is uh, um, because it's so hard to determine whether or not you're impaired, we're just going to um, outlaw it completely, you know, and um, I, I think you and I could probably take issue with a, a policy like that, but, um, you know, you still can have a, a policy from a legal perspective if that's the route that you choose to go. And I, and I know that just goes down a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a rabbit trail, but not, not too, too much. I mean, I mean, the DOT is still requiring it, it, you know, testing, and I, I you know, and that's different. Like, yeah, no, no, not really, because you can't just say, "Hey, don't, don't worry about it." You know, it's no big deal. You can't. I mean, if you know, I don't want somebody. I mean, it scares me enough to drive down I eighty five between you know Charlotte and Atlanta, and every other vehicle is an eighteen wheeler going eighty five miles an hour. To think about you know whether it's marijuana or anything else, somebody not being fully, uh, you know. Uh, aware and, and and able, you know, to have all their uh, reflexes and everything working as properly as they could. So, I mean, there, are, I, I mean, safety sensitive positions. I mean, if there is impairment for marijuana, to me, and I agree, for the most part, you shouldn't worry about it for a non safety safety sensitive job. But for a safety sensitive position, you really need to have some sort of standard and have it's, that policy. Awesome Steve, why isn't the standard no impairment? Like go back to the Sudafed example, right? Like, okay, your 18 wheeler going from Charlotte to Atlanta, they could have popped 10 Sudafed, yeah. right? They could give me two Claritin. I'll be doing the hokey pokey, right? Like I'm like, you like the goal is no impairment, right? Like, why can't that be our standard? And look, DOT, like that is like DOT also requires physicals where an employee can't have extreme amounts of hypertension, right? Like they're governed by a different set of rules, but why can't the rule be, we expect our employees to come to work every single day, not impaired and not under the influence. Done. So Kelly, I actually think your approach is a great one. Um, it Acknowledging Perry's comment, which is it's still legal to do what you want, but I think if you think in terms of reasonable, reasonable suspicion, which is what you're talking about, if I come to work under the influence of Claritin, Sudafed, alcohol, fill in the blank, even my prescription drugs that I'm misusing, and um, you have reasonable suspicion, and you don't have to use the DOT standard for me unless I'm a DOT person, but there's reasonable suspicion, um, then you test me. And if I have, you know, you'll test me then for alcohol, you know, you'll test me for TH, you'll test me for all those things to see, is she on something? Because then I'm not protected under the ADA. I'm not a qualified individual with a disability, right? Whether it's because I have a disability and I'm on prescription meds and I've ever used them, or um, I have a substance abuse disability. So to me, it streamlines everything. You have a policy for reasonable suspicion testing, and then you have a policy for after accident testing. And I I think you should have that even in a situation where you have white collar employees, especially if they're driving or attending functions in the evening, just because you think about in terms of what your workers' compensation policies might say. And a lot of times they're going to deny coverage if you've not had a testing policy. And I know OSHA says don't test, but you know, Perry and I typically disagree. We think it's 
more important to make sure you don't get stuck holding a worker's comp bill for an accident. Mm -hmm. So um, make your testing that. Have people sign things when they start, you know, that this is the type of testing we do and narrow your policy to that. And I think it takes care of what you're making, which is a good point, no logistical additional administrative tasks for um, HR folks that already have too much to do. And it addresses the actual crux of what you're trying to avoid, which is don't come to work, trying to do your work under the influence of fill in the blank. What, okay, so I, I agree. I think I think we're getting to a, a you know, kind of a almost a consensus, um, which is amazing for for Kelly and I. But the um, if you're going to have a policy, if you're going to test based upon these things, which I don't disagree with. I mean, you don't want people impaired at work. Where, what is the safe? You're you're developing this because there's lots of companies out here that are looking at this and doing variations on it. But the the is if you're going to have a good solid policy. What would you use? Is there any recommendation or kind of generalized standard for what an impairment level would be? And I know you said it varies by state, but I mean, is there is there like? I mean, not with marijuana. I mean, you don't. There's no way to test, you know, how high someone is at any given moment on marijuana. So. That is kind of back to my point that as far as the testing goes, it really isn't going to tell you a whole lot. Um, the, the reasonable suspicion, I think, which creates its own problems is yeah, I think you have to rely on, you know, other employee witnesses and other evidence that you have in the workplace and things like that. Um, if there's an accident, you know, if somebody drives a forklift into, you know, a uh, you know, inventory and knock something over and hurt somebody. And there, there's a, there's, you know, somebody says, I think the person was under the influence. You know, another employee says that. So you test um, and they test positive for marijuana. I mean, from my understanding and the other, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, there's nothing, there's not going to be anything in that test to tell you, you know, how high someone was on marijuana at that particular time. So to answer your question, Steve, I, I don't really think there's any standard that you can come up with for that. I think it's got to be your sort of normal, reasonable suspicion that you would use based on the other surrounding factors. And um, the reality is you can fire someone for at-will employment, right? So if you're behaving erratically, you don't have to keep that person employed, right? If you were like, so Perry, like, if they test positive on that drug test after crashing the forklift into a pallet and they test positive for marijuana, you again have no idea when they did it, like whether or not they were high on marijuana, they could have been high on Sudafed. And I promise you, there's no drug panel out there that's going to test for whether or not you took too many Claritin, right? Like, or too much Sudafed. So your policy needs to be you can't be impaired in any way, shape, or form under any, like, because like everyone knows there's a giant, there's a giant epidemic out there of abuse of even over-the-counter medications, right? These drug tests are just panel tests, five panel, 10 panel. That doesn't mean that they can't be on something else. Like use the impairment standard. I agree with Perry, like use the impairment standard. You're talking in circles because you just said yeah, you are because no, you, yes, you are. because if you said you can't test, you don't know if somebody's impaired on marijuana, you can't have an impaired. I mean, you've got to have some sort of a standard and also perhaps 
if you have an accident, do you test hair? Do you test urine? Do you test saliva? I mean, what at what point do you say? Does it like if you have an employee who is impaired and you have enough people who are validating that person is impaired? You shouldn't have to test for anything. You should be able to fire that employee because they're impaired. Okay, Chris, Chris has a point. Chris, let's play Chris. The point, oh, wait, wait. the point is you don't always have a witness and there's not always going to be people standing around because you have an accident and your policy says you test after every accident. Go ahead, Chris. So if Perry and I go out and we have a cocktail after um, a long day, I can have probably one and a half glasses of wine. Perry can have more probably, right? And I will be impaired at one and a half glasses and Perry, I'm kidding, Perry. <laughs> I have no idea. When I was younger, I could drink more wine. Let's put it that way. I could have more wine and not worry about it. I was not a sod. I'm not suggesting that. But you know, impairment levels differ, Steve. They differ. And so it doesn't matter what I'm on. It's that you see me engaging in behavior and you take those facts and you couple it with a test for reasonable suspicion or for um, accident. And you discover that I did have something in my system, doesn't matter what level, marijuana, what have you. Well, Krista was on, she did have alcohol in her system. She did have, you know, whatever in her system. Those two facts, they're facts. Then, you know, we're going to have to fire her because she showed up to work impaired. That's how I think you use a test to confirm what you're witnessing. I think I'm hearing um, Kelly say, no test anymore. Don't even bother with tests, just um, observe behavior. But I, you know, I don't know. I think you could do one or the other. It's an interesting thought. But I know that you don't have to have any standard in sort of reasonable suspicion or post-accident. If I have some big wreck and then you find that I had stuff in my system, um, and once they do establish what's okay for um, the appropriate level of marijuana, I'm sure that informs it better. But if I have stuff in my system, you have the facts where Chris had this rep, or you have the facts where Chris is asleep on her desk, and which probably is enough to fire me just for that. But you know, whatever else, you take those facts plus proof that I had something in my system, and I think that's sufficient. I, I like. Let me just qualify this. I'm not opposed to testing. I am opposed to using a test to terminate someone or, or I'm, I'm opposed to using a test to prove marijuana impairment. That's what I'm opposed to. Right. I'm not like, cause I want to know if you're on cocaine, I want to know, but like one, we have to be realist to say you can't test for everything. And we also have to be realist to say that just because there's marijuana in their system doesn't mean that they were actively impaired based on the way marijuana works through your system. And it's all, and we also have to be realists to understand that marijuana could be legal five minutes from their house in another state. Well, there's also, there's also states that protect you from termination, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're in a safety sensitive role. Uh, if you've got marijuana traced in your body, I guess one of the questions I would ask, if you are going to test, what kind of testing should you do? saliva you are such i know where you're going with this steve this like oh my god steve only believes hair testing is appropriate no i don't know i think actually i think saliva testing is appropriate for an accident like this saliva testing saliva testing almost never works by the way steve like made 
them cut like a giant hole out of my head <laughs> only believes that hair testing and he was so convinced no it was my pre-employment but like it's terrible okay what kind of test Chris and Perry I, I don't know to be honest with you I think you, you two working in HR probably know a lot more about the efficacy of certain tests than, than, than I do um you know I, I don't know when it comes to marijuana what's the most effective test to be doing to you Chris um, we're not scientists. We just play scientists on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we used this saliva test one time at work as a trial and water tested positive for marijuana. <laughs> I just, I'm just like putting it out there. The test we were using, we literally put under a running because my, one of my HR team members tested positive and she's like freaking out. And then we put the water under and it tested positive for marijuana. Too. Well, maybe that's because y'all are piping in marijuana like they used to do lithium <laughs> or what have you to calm everybody down in the workplace. Maybe that's what's happening. You no, know, what happened is there was a raid. There was a raid at somebody's house. They, they threw it in the toilet, flushed it down. It goes through the water. Through water. That's cool. I don't, I mean, look, it's just, I think this is going to be something that you see a lot of, um, a lot of discussion about. I think you're going to see some litigation about it just for some of the reasons that we're talking about. I mean, if you actually are, are going to continue to test people for marijuana, these are the kinds of issues that are going to come up. I mean, it's going to be, if, if, if the company chooses to, to continue testing, then they're going to have to deal with all the legal issues, societal, you know, um, community issues, everything else that, that comes up with it. So. Yeah, and to your point, just very quickly, Steve, you know, in, in the early marijuana laws that were being passed by states, there were almost no protections built in for employees. And, and then the more recent states that we have seen pass legislation, um, you're seeing more and more employee protections against you know, discrimination um, be built into those laws. And I think that's going to continue to a point um, where, you know, you're going to have to be very, very careful for, for terminations in this realm, even if it's based on, you know, impairment. So can, can I ask like a, I want to ask the lawyer as a practical question. So I do not want our employees impaired at work. I don't care what it is too many Claritin, marijuana. Like, I don't want them impaired. Would you recommend that HR professionals draft strong impairment language into their drug testing, into their policy that makes very clear statements? Like, because I, we have to be realists to understand that people are getting high on things that are not illegal, but they're using inappropriately. Should we draft language into our policies that says like, no level of impairment is okay. Like you're not allowed to be impaired on anything. You have to come to work, ready to work and not impaired. Is that like, does that make sense? Because I feel like that's a really, it's a really good way to protect against the too many Claritin. Chris is shaking her head now. <laughs> so what I'm worried about there, um, I, I like it. I think, I do think these drug tests or drug policies that have you won't do all this and this and this and this, just throw those out and focus more on the stuff we've been talking about today. But if you say I can't work due to any level of impairment, well, that's what if I've got a disability and I'm on medication and I can do my essential functions of my job, right? So that's the only so thing. You I write that line in there that says like, you know, 
like you can write you can write that language in there mm -hmm. so it covers for obviously ADA accommodations and things of that nature. Like obviously we always want to accommodate those, right. but what I'm trying to like I guess what I'm trying to protect against is without like a laser that I can scan on someone's head and say, and it just shows me all the things they have in their system, which doesn't exist. Maybe one day, how do I protect against the, that should like that if, if I can't test for impairment, like how do I protect against it and make it abundantly clear to employees coming in the door? We expect you to not be impaired. Like we expect you to be able to be here and not be impaired. I agree with this. I think it's so streamlined. It's fair, especially if you put that caveat in there that we that you just mentioned. I think it makes it so much easier and it's reasonable. It is. And I'm not saying don't test. I'm not saying we won't test. I'm not saying I agree with no testing. I'm saying that should be in there. Like the employee should have that expectation because without that expectation, they think Sudafed is fine, but cocaine is not. Worst case scenario, I didn't sleep well last night. I come to you, I'm a leave abuser. I didn't sleep well. I'm impaired. I can't do my job today. You know, <laughs> lawyers are terrible. They blow holes in every single good idea. You have a good idea, but you are going to have to deal with some stuff like that, but whatever. But that's okay. I just, I want to set the standard that says abusing Claritin is not okay. Just like cocaine, like using, like they're not the same. I'm not arguing that they're equivalents, but I am saying that abuse of things and not using things properly can be just as impairing. Like, and, and, and we fool ourselves from an HR perspective in thinking that we have a policy that says like illegal, illegal drugs, but, but it's not just illegal drugs. It's inappropriate usage as well. Yeah. That went out the window when people use bath salts, which I still don't understand to get high. I still don't understand that. Mm -hmm. I had an employee one time tell me that <laughs> it's a little strange. <laughs> and I walked up to him. Maybe we can put this in a funny, funny podcast. He walked up to him like, listen, you're acting a little strange. And I, I smell something coming off of you. He's like, yeah, I drank an entire bottle of Vicks 44. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> wow. He's like, and then, and then there was nothing in a policy that said he couldn't drink Vicks 44. Ew. I think the, I think the point that you're making Kelly is actually good because. Oh my God. It's <laughs> memorialized y'all. You, <laughs> you don't want people impaired on anything because the consequences of impairment, regardless of what it's from is the same, you know, can be the Agreed. same. They're dangerous. It's dangerous, right? Like that's the point of impairment. Like the point of impairment is you can't do your job and you're potentially dangerous. So how about we tell you, you can't be impaired unless it's legally required by law. <laughs> there you go, Chris. Chris and Perry, I put in the caveat. You know what I would say is, is, don't, is, is, is that needs to be your approach and you need to go see Chris and Perry, our sponsors and a great law firm and Haynes or Sinker and Boyd to get the policy and your practices. Uh, legalized, right? A million percent, a million percent. And you know what I appreciate about this podcast is, wow, like, lots of different ways you can approach this, but it was such a good debate. Like it was such a good debate. I really appreciate you guys so much being willing to like, not just come at, come at us with like the legal, here's your policy and you must write all of these things and they must be perfect. And you might like, it's a like, that's not people, right? Like that's actually been 
a lot of our struggles is in HR, like there's rules and there's laws and then there's people and they have to work together. So thank you guys. Hey, aren't That's you guys- That's what makes HR so much fun. Aren't you guys gonna do a topic like this at the South Carolina State SHRM Conference? I'll just give a little plug for that for the HR professionals that are on here. They're close to, this, to South Carolina. You know, you can come and hear Chris and Perry uh, do uh, a whole session on this very topic. Uh, I want to go. That sounds so fun. Yeah. I, that sounds, I want to go. Well, it would be great, Kelly, if you went, you'd actually, a lot of times, the, the HR folks are great to pipe up, but we know you'd pipe up and ask questions. It'd be a lot of fun for everybody in the group if y'all came. We had this big debate there. I'm actually going to do a session as, as well there on early, you know, um, I guess expectations, what young professionals should expect uh, in their HR careers. I'm, I'm probably going to put together a panel. Are you qualified for that? <laughs> I'm going to be the moderator, but I'm, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm looking for good young HR professionals that could maybe be on that panel. So I don't know if any are on this call or not, but, um, you know, young and or good, but hey, I'll, uh, you know, I may be asking some somebody. Ooh, fun. Um, all right. Well, Chris Perry, I love having you guys on this podcast. This was super fun. Perry just gave me the, the podcast finger, which means he has something to say. Perry, what do you have to say? No, that was the thumbs up. I was oh, agreeing because I thought up. it was okay. uh, a very interesting topic and an interesting and fun conversation. So thanks to both of you. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Steve. You, As always, my friend, Mr. Nell. Yep. Thanks, Kelly. If you like our podcast, please rate us and share our podcast. Our hope is to help this already busy community of business leaders learn a little while laughing along the way.